Welcome to Carry the Convo podcast, where we share ideas and hopes to inspire others to converse like us. I'm your host, Tashar. This is another installment of the Dialectic series, where we investigate a topic personal to someone in hopes to grow in the idea together. Today, I am interviewing Rachel. She is currently a student at the University of Houston studying speech pathology. In today's episode, we are investigating her thoughts on the ethics of curing disabilities, how we can make it into heaven, and the impact of poor education in the Black community. I hope you guys enjoy today's show. So, I mean, have you have you done an interview style thing before? I've done like job interviews, but <laughs> Okay, but nothing like for Not I like guess a, like a podcast or anything like never. that. Oh, let's go. So, how do you feel? I feel a little nervous. That's but. okay. I mean, <laughs> I think that's pretty expected for anybody who's yeah. never been on like the microphone side of things. Have you been on the microphone side of things? Well, <sighs> you I mean, know, I mean, this is like, a, I'm a few podcasts in. I have never okay. been oh, interviewed. True. No, you know what? That is not true. I was in high school. I got interviewed for something like our school news thing. So that is the first time I've ever yeah. been interviewed. And so it's fun. So I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll be great. It's going to be a good time. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay, so I want to start by obviously introducing you. You're Rachel. Um, so tell me about you. Tell me about like you know what, you know, who you are and what you're doing currently in your life. Um, I'm a student at University of Houston. Go Cougs! And go Cougs! And <laughs> you got too excited. No, I'm I love Cougs. Coug Nation. And um, I'm a speech pathology major, so communication sciences and disorders. Mm-hmm. But I have to get my master's in speech pathology or audiology. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one yet. Okay. So I'm going to take a year off and work and then decide. Um, I love country dancing. Heck yeah. I have a cat and I have a dog at home. Okay, so okay. animal person. So you, you're doing a degree, you said, in speech <laughs> pathology? Yeah, well, it's called... Right now, it's called Communication Sciences mm. and Disorders. Communication. But that is your then, goal to go into speech pathology? Yeah. That would be my master's. Okay. Or audiology. Or audiology. So. Um, what made you want to go into that specifically? Well, originally, I really liked sign language, and I wanted to be fluent in sign language. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was just searching up jobs with it, and I didn't want to be an interpreter or anything. And it's a different field, but it's like kind of similar in a way so it just led me there and then I took the intro class and I liked it and that okay. was pretty much it. So what about sign language was so appealing to you? Um, I just like the idea of like a visual language Okay. that you can't, you just don't really see it anywhere else and so many people can use it. Mm-hmm. I mean there's American sign language and like European but. Okay. So what made the visual aspects as opposed to like just like maybe like a Spanish or a French or a Latin like what what part of the sort of visual was the appeal as opposed to I guess like the diversity in dialect? Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. It just feels I know there's different versions but it feels more universal too. Mm. in a way do you think that like with sign language like even if you don't know the language you can like pick up a few things yeah. just because it is so visual there's certain things like and yeah. like they can't like deaf people can't communicate obviously with hearing so mm-hmm. i think it's interesting because it's a very specific type of language that you learn to communicate with people who normally yeah. can't communicate um do you go different. to deaf like events at all or no i've been but i haven't in a long time because i i don't really know 
sign language as much as I used to. Oh, okay. But I did a little more, so I would go to like deaf theater events. And oh. Stuff. Yeah. Okay. Heck yeah. All right. Perfect. So you're just a student. You're gonna work. I mean, do you know exactly what you're gonna work as? It's just kind of odd jobs till you get um, to your master's. I'm currently. I got accepted to internship in the summer, okay. but I don't know what they're gonna place me as yet. Okay. And so either a speech assistant, audiology assistant, hearing aid, um, like distributor, oh, distributor, or not okay. distributor, uh, specialist, like, something okay. like that. Do you just help people get like, like the basically sell the yeah, things? Yeah, or help them fit it. Mm, and wow. um, lab manager next year for oh, okay. the research that I'm doing on campus. Oh, wow. Alrighty. That sounds pretty cool. All right. Well, I think that's a good, like a little explanation of who you are. Uh, I want to go dig a little deep, kind of transitioning us towards the questions that we're going to ask today. Um, to do that, I kind of want to cover your relationship to a certain fields that are kind of uh, prevalent throughout um, mm -hmm. society and also in the um, format that we'd like to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So the first kind of relationship I want to investigate with you is your relationship to political discourse so politics in general <laughs> that could be geopolitical that could be like um you know just specifically we're in the u.s so like united states politics like anything so what are your what is yeah. your relationship to politics um i think i do have strong opinions on certain topics mm -hmm. but i will say i either don't usually like to talk about them because i don't want to depending on who i'm talking to them mm -hmm. talking about them with because i don't want to be a part of like huge arguments and stuff. And then the other half would be, I don't think I'm educated enough on certain topics to talk about them, especially when it comes to economics and okay. stuff like that. So, so essentially, <clears throat> wait, hold on. so essentially when it comes to political discourse, so let's, I guess, attack it from two sides. So you talk about the strong, like argumentative aspect of it. So if po political discourse is, kind of how do i rephrase this i don't like conflict so. you don't like conflict. okay <laughs> that's so, why so you would you would be more inclined to have political conversations if it was the case that people weren't you know abrasive or that it was mm -hmm. so uh polarized as it is right now yeah or they're they have an ability to understand multiple sides and not be upset if you disagree okay gotcha do you think that that's you know what do you do you think that's just society at large isn't like that anymore or is it that it always was like that like what are your thoughts on that i think people are more open about their opinions their strong opinions mm -hmm. than they used to be i guess so i don't know what i'm trying to say everyone has always had strong opinions but they're mm -hmm. more open to like attacking against other people now mm. and do you think it's like talking past like you you're, we're not listening as much as we used to more like we're more willing to talk less willing to listen is that like kind of would you mm. agree with that statement or no yeah maybe okay but i don't know i think we've always been kind of like that too oh okay. it's just how we how we go about it now so how how do you think you know i mean do you believe in the political system that we have like in theory um <laughs> okay well, we can we can investigate <laughs> no, that I'm thinking, further. No, i don't know um I don't know. That's fine. We can investigate that later. Um, let me write that down. This feels like a. I think that's a complicated question. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. No. So, 
Okay. And so the second half of the statement, lack of education, um, do you consider yourself a well-informed person when it comes to political things? <laughs> Probably not. Is it the case that... Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm fine. generally informed, but usually, like, I don't keep up with politics, really. Do you think we should keep up with politics? Like, do you think that's, like, a... Uh, a standard that you want to uh, like achieve and you just obviously life is in the way or do you think that that's just something that's not your forte like you're just like eh, i don't really care that much like yeah i guess it's good i think to a certain extent it's good especially if it's going to affect your daily life but then i'm kind of lazy so i think about it like oh if there's like family members or friends who are interested in politics they could just represent me (laughs) Oh, okay. but, so you just hand it off to the, the bigger person. But then that's like, oh, your vote doesn't count, you know? Yeah. So um, I, I want to relate it back because you mentioned that you you do have strong opinions on things. How <laughs> How is it that you are strongly opinionated, but you don't necessarily have a lot of uh, knowledge on the topics? Like, how do you go? How is like, the opinion forming process on that for you? Um, well, I, I have strong biases probably just from like your upbringing my upbringing okay but i acknowledge that i can't express it fully because i don't know if i'm informed enough so Mm -hmm. i don't want to say anything unless i am sure on what my opinion is or Mm -hmm. how to express my opinion okay um (laughs) and then before we move on to the next section what are what are some of your sort of most heated political like opinions Ooh, ooh, i have to think about this one um well i would say healthcare is one i need to be more educated on it though but it's kind of in my field a little bit and then um racial issues Mm -hmm. just like in regards to just you know everything that's happening in america just everything like that yeah just like how people act to like enforce better things what do you mean by well, that? Uh, <laughs> uh, you, like, uh, how people act to like um i mean you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned like speech pathology i'm assuming that that has a lot to do with like um maybe education would be a great facet yeah. about that so just uh education with you know certain racial minorities and stuff yeah like that. they talk about like educational disparities and stuff like that okay that sounds cool all right well i think that's a good way to segue to the next section that we have um, that I want to sort of cover your relationship with, and that's uh, religion. Well, I was raised Christian. My mom was Pentecostal Christian, and my dad was, I don't know if I'd say atheist, maybe agnostic. Okay. Um, but he was never a part of, like, a church group or anything. But I was raised in the church all my life. So is your, is your, is your dad still, like, an atheist, or...? No, he goes to church with all of us now. So I guess he would be considered just or like an agnostic, yeah, or agnostic. Yeah. So he still kind of holds on to his agnosticism. <clears throat> or do you think he's more willing to be religious and like believes or affirms yeah. loosely some sort of God? I, I think he believes and affirms a God. Okay. I just don't know like how much influence is from my mom mm. versus like he truly believes that. But Okay. And so to, to viewers that don't, aren't familiar and even me because i don't know too much about it like what is like sort of the tenets of like being a pentecostal christian (laughs) um so it's like a basic christian but way more strict christian 
Please, uh, do, what, what do you mean by a basic Christian? Like, well, just like, following, like, the general Like, the tenets, general okay. laws, like, Ten okay. Commandments, like, so So what, dif- what kind of separates, maybe through practices or beliefs, um, a Pentecostal versus, like, other denominations mm-hmm. of Christianity? So I've been raised to say that, or to know, believe, believe that Pentecostals speak in tongues versus Baptists, which is, like, the majority of American Christians, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, at least Southern American Christians, mm-hmm. um, that we can speak in tongues, and Baptists believe that only the disciples could. I don't know if that's actually true because I've met some Baptists who believe in tongues and stuff. Yeah, but, but generally um, you would say that's probably the yeah. trend to follow. And Catholics, which is like technically a lot of people consider a different religion, even though they're under Christianity, they yeah, believe in tongues cool. also. And then there's strict rules, like if you're strict Pentecostal, you can't wear jeans, you can't dance. Going to the movies is a little iffy. Mm -hmm. Um, Some really strict ones grow their hair really long and have to wear a bun to church. Interesting. Okay, so just would you say like some certain traditions that other denominations may not follow is... Mm -hmm. Really, that's the biggest difference between Pentecostals and other denominations, just the traditions that they follow. Yeah. It's like there's verses in the Bible that they take more literally than okay. metaphorically. That makes sense. And so where do you line on the spectrum? Because you have your father that's, you know, more on the agnosticism side of things and your mom that's more Pentecostal. Um, so where, where do you fall in this sort of spectrum? I think I am Christian. Like, I believe in a God, but I'm definitely not, like... Like, I've been fighting to wear jeans my whole life. Yeah. So, that fight, <laughs> definitely not strict. That fight. I got okay. my ears pierced, so um, I'm very open to, like, I don't know. Everything. Open to, like, other perspectives, like, <laughs> yeah. potentially, like, being able to find a new mm-hmm. way on. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so are there anything... I guess, is there anything that you struggle with when it comes to being a Christian that you think is, like, core to your spiritual journey? Ooh. I don't know if this counts, but I think, and a lot of people who are not Christians see this in Christianity, like, kind of the hypocrisy in it, um, Mm -hmm. where, like... There's, oh. there's like, yeah, contradicting information. Yeah. Is that what you, okay. Kind of, but there's, there are verses in the Bible that say like, keep each other accountable, other Christians accountable, which is like, I do agree. It's important. You should keep just like, even if you're not Christian, keep your friends in line. If they're like, oh, you cheated on your boyfriend. Like, Hey, you probably shouldn't do that. You know, mm-hmm. but there's like an ex- a line where Christians, they follow that verse so hard that they're very judgmental, mm-hmm. even when they're like coming across as not judgmental mm-hmm. to people who are trying to get into the faith. So would you say like the hypocrisy lies in the text itself or in the people, like in the sort of practicing of the the text that exists? I would say in the people, okay. the practice. That's where like your biggest struggle is when it comes mm-hmm. to that which does that make it difficult to find like a good church and like a good community and stuff like that yeah i would say so like i have a family member who she is always talking about like oh we got to be open to other people you know and she is but then when i tell her a story about something like maybe like my non-christian friend would do or maybe even something i did but i just said it was someone else that did it 
um, like, she'll be like, oh, that was very unchristian. Like, I don't know if I could even talk to them. Like, mm. and I don't know. I see it as you should still be there for somebody, even if they're like, not who you would, what you would like, do. It, you know? It's one of those things where it's like, if they're struggling to follow the ethics of Christianity, like that's when you need to be there the most. Yeah. Because it's like, well, yeah, if I, if I think this is the right practice, they obviously need help or something like that. Yeah. Do you think that's something that you yeah. could agree to? Okay. And just be their friend, even if you don't agree yeah. with them. Yeah. Yeah. And just help out. Love thy neighbor, right? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, cool. Well, I think the last thing I want to cover um, as far as your relationship too, before we move on to the questions, is the uh, is your relationship to philosophy? Um, <laughs> so, wh- how would you describe your relationship to that? My relationship to philosophy is through you. Oh, That's nice. like my whole relationship. Crazy. <laughs> so, what what have you learned from the years of knowing me uh, as far as philosophy goes? Well, we met in a class together, oh, and yeah. so I learned about. Um, it was like minds and machines minds and machines yeah like uh, cognitive philosophy or like philosophy of mind so like cognition and um like ai like all that stuff Mm -hmm. we did descartes i remember that i honestly kind of blacked that class out i'm not gonna yeah i don't remember most of it so yeah your relationship philosophy you took a class with me i talk about it all the time yeah so what do you do you think that with what you've heard from what i've said i guess about the subject or Mm -hmm. you know in passing or even the class do you think that philosophy is something that you want more ingrained in your life or it's just kind of like a, that's cool? Um, I think more ingrained a little bit because you make me think about different things. Like you make me question things more, Okay. I guess. So you like the sort of investigatory, yeah. I don't know if that's a word. Aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. It works. Let's go with yeah. it. Sure. <laughs> uh, okay. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's a good way to round out not just who you are, but also your sort of positions on these sort of principles. So uh, we're going to take a little break and then we will uh, get cracking at the questions. Crack-a-lackin'. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So the first question is, if we can cure some disabilities, should we? So this question is informed by your background um, in sort of speech pathology and audiology and you're also your your future wants to Mm -hmm. kind of pursue something like that but also your interest in the deaf community itself Um, because i think most people intuitively would say that if there is some sort of disability that exists and we have every uh, sort of capacity to fix it we should Mm -hmm. Um, and i don't think people would like disagree necessarily on like life-threatening disabilities or like like entirely like life altering disabilities like ALS um, like ALS or you know any sort of neurodegenerative disorder but there is debate when it comes to like I know there's been people that have brought it up for autism people have made it up for um, some like you know, Asperger's anything on the autism mm. spectrum ADHD um, but specifically too there's a huge debate in the deaf community when it comes to um, hearing versus not hearing, getting cochlear implants, like all that stuff. So what, what are your thoughts on this sort of de- this debate? So when it comes to like being deaf, deaf community, I do think that you should always have the option to be able to cure it, but like never force anyone into it. Like your child should be able to experience the deaf community, like they're deaf and mm-hmm. their parents are hearing. Like they should be able to be a part of whatever community they want to be. And if they want to like have a cochlear implant and hear again if it's possible for them or like um 
I think like hair cell surgery something. Whatever, yeah, yeah. Whatever, yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> doesn't matter. Surgery there. Any sort of <laughs> yeah remedy that can be put forth. They they should have the option always to do that, but mm-hmm. never be forced into it. I, that's what I think. But it's interesting mm-hmm. when it comes to like autism, and Asperger's. Well, I don't, yeah, everyone should have the option. Well, with with autism and Asperger's, it's more of like like that. Typically, I don't think there's a cure for it, yeah. but it's more of like for like the the thing I'm directly referencing is like there's some ideas of CRISPR, like the gene editing thing that they're mm-hmm. working on, that they could you know essentially if they can map out where like the chromosomes or the things that might yeah. be contributing to those disorders um, exists in um, like infants and stuff, you can just use CRISPR to edit it out essentially so the thing is some people are advocating for that because it would remedy a solution or remedy some sort of perceived problem but the response from autism some individuals in the autism community is that that's an ableist perspective because you're Mm. seeing it as a problem when in reality it's just a different way of thinking especially for people who are pretty high functioning on the autism spectrum it 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 to them it seems like that is essentially labeling someone as a negative when mm. it does not have to be and that is i guess the criticism i'm going to launch for the, the deaf thing where it's like if you have the option right how much of it is the case that it's a true choice by that i mean mm-hmm. is it the case that people just really feel like yeah you know what i would rather hear versus not hear or are they doing it out of the convenience of it all the okay. criticism essentially that i'm launching and that, that this is informed by that I, I came across in a book called uh, Life is Hard by Kieran Satya. And he distinguishes between uh, a disease versus an illness. Mm-hmm. And essentially he says the disease is this sort of biological pathogen or the biological phenomena that's producing an unfavorable you know, life outcome or symptom basically. Mm-hmm. That, that everybody experiences. But the illness is not necessarily something that is experienced by everybody because that is specifically the lived experience of the disease. So someone who suffers from diabetes, someone who has, is, uh, has what's it called insulin readily available, um, is monitoring their sugars, has access to a healthy diet, they're not going to feel the effects of uh, diabetes as much as someone who has no access to that. So for the person who has no access to that, their illness or their disease becomes such a severe illness because they have to live with it and have to cope mm-hmm. with it on a daily basis. While for someone who has easy access to all of it is essentially just, you know, it's just another step in their day. So that criticism launched in the more, you know, with the deaf community or with, uh, you know, maybe the uh, autism community um, or the neurodivergent, I think is a better term for them. Um, The neurodivergent community is that how much of the case is that people are choosing it because they genuinely feel like that's what they want for their own life. Mm -hmm. And how much of it are they choosing out of a necessity to cure the illness, not to remedy the, um, the disease. Um, so I'll answer that, but I also, I'm going to ask, is the gene editing for the, like the autism, is that... Oh, CRISPR, yeah. I don't think... Or is I, that at birth, like before, it would like be in pregnancy? To my knowledge, and I could be completely wrong because I Cause haven't read up to it. you can't do it after they're born. Obviously. Yeah, no, no, yeah. it would be before. It would be essentially in like the first, yeah. I think like... I think it's whenever you can screen for that, Mm -hmm. they would. So I think the biggest difference there, though, is that like with the deaf community, you besides like putting cochlear implants in at birth or whatever, like 
people can choose later on in life. Whereas you're just taking away like who the individual is at birth by editing their genes, mm -hmm. which I don't necessarily agree with because mm -hmm. I do think like having autism is a different way of thinking and like, yeah, they might need speech and hearing therapy and stuff, but it's still like a different aspect or different type of human that mm -hmm. we can learn from. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Okay, uh, which that, then, that, that's that's fair for the gene editing. Yeah. But what about the choice aspect of it all? Because <clears throat> the critic, as I said, the criticism I've lodged is for someone to be able to choose, mm -hmm. right? You would assume that there's no sort of coercive elements involved, right? That is yeah. a truly freely, a truly free choice. But it's one of those situations where if society is not addressing the the social conditions or the financial conditions or whatever conditions that's making the disease more of an illness. Mm -hmm. then the coercive element is that this is my only option. Yeah, they don't I, have access they to these don't. The choice is coerced in the sense that yeah. I either choose to suffer with my illness or mm -hmm. I choose this option for whether I want to or not. Yeah. So well, is it really a truly free choice I, in that capacity? I think it still is, but we definitely need to work on fixing society and not viewing like the deaf community as an illness or something that needs to be cured, you know? It needs to be like a lot more opportunities for them. And there are a lot of communities and like things that are set up for them, but there's not enough access and opportunities mm -hmm. that they should have. So I do think there should always be an option for a cochlear implant if they can do that. But we should also have enough things to where they don't need it if they don't want to, so which they do to an extent. Do you but. think that making that like a red, like not necessarily getting off rid of the, the option in general, but by promoting cochlear implants more and more, do you think that society just thinks that that's the end of the conversation? Like, because if anybody is deaf, they're like, mm -hmm. well, here's your solution. Why should I invest more money into the resources or the culture or helping you out? If you choose to stay deaf, that's on you. But yeah. there's still like bigger issues implicit in that, you know, the deaf community. Like again, the disease becomes an yeah. illness. There's bigger issues. So if someone, for the sake of culture or for the sake of, you know, just keeping up with the normality of their life, may choose not to do a cochlear implant, do you think society at large is damaged from that perspective in the sense that if they see cochlear implants as a valid solution, then they'll just blame the deaf people who don't want to and not fix the other issues? I mean, do you do you, do you agree, disagree? Like, where do you fall on that? I'm not necessarily saying. I don't know if I'm answering this right or... No, you're... you're, you're got you're, the question you're, right. You're but... with me. You're with me okay. is what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> um... So essentially what I'm saying is that when you have people in the deaf community, right? Mm -hmm. Some people might say that a cochlear implant is a solution and people should have the choice to do that. <clears throat> Originally, I said that, you know, because people have, like... People can choose, and you're saying that people should have the ability to choose whether they want a cochlear implant mm -hmm. or not. I'm saying that though, yes, I agree with that, there is a subtle criticism of if, if you advocate for cochlear implants as a, a sort of, that is the solution. Yeah. You're neglecting all these other issues that are, you know, handing themselves to making the, the disability of, you know, not being able to hear a lot harder to live with. And because there are going to be people who don't want to have that mm. choice, the struggles of that are not being addressed, which forces the coercive decision of either 
of really just choosing to take the cochleas. Because yeah. if life becomes harder to be a deaf person, then you are essentially put in a position where you are being coerced into mm -hmm. taking that decision. Because when resources are stripped from you, when access to things are stripped from you, it, it unless you were to just get that implant, life becomes suffering. Yeah. So, I mean, do you agree with that sentiment? I agree that because you don't have as much access and it's so supported by so many people, mm -hmm. like especially, I think it's more people outside of audiology, honestly, even though mm -hmm. audiology is the people, are the people that are enforcing cochlears. Mm -hmm. They're a lot more inclusive of the deaf community now. Mm -hmm. So I think um, it's definitely people who are less informed about the deaf community that are just like, oh, quick fix, like get a cochlear expensive fix. But, but do you think that's most of society? Because uh, because if we're going back that's to... That's really difficult to Because going back to the question of voting, right? Because, <clears throat> I mean, tax money, bills, yeah. like all the things that we decide to do for marginalized communities mm -hmm. is a public vote. If you don't yeah. have the numbers, you won't have people mm -hmm. in, in, in administrations that will take the time to look into those perspectives. So like, yeah. yes, you have your whole classroom of people that agree with that position and they're well informed with the nuances and you have obviously the deaf community itself that's pretty well informed on the nuances. But most people don't know that. That's and why it's hard to answer because everyone in my academic community is so like inclusive, like deaf community mm -hmm. and then like get a cochlear if you want, be informed, but like we're still gonna be on your team. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's hard. But I do think that there's a lot of like, especially with expenses and like access mm -hmm. to things in schools mm -hmm. and stuff um, like even access to interpreters probably if they need one is really difficult and mm -hmm. not a lot of insurance companies not for interpreters yeah this yeah, is yeah. goes towards more speech i'm going off no you're, you're you're fine but like fine. like i think a lot of insurance companies don't support um, assistive devices which will help people who have like als or Mm -hmm. Autism is kind of off topic. No, 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 you're fine. Um, I mean, that just that, those are the so, contributing factors to why life can become so difficult. Yeah. So, you know, going and kind of tying this back into the question, if we can cure some disabilities, should we? I think we have agreed that the curing them is fine. Having, maybe not curing, but having mm -hmm. a cure is necessary because, and I don't want to put words in your yeah. mouth. You can 100% correct my statement, but... My personal sense and what I think we're kind of getting to is that we both value the ability to choose, mm -hmm. but it's not fair, which is my criticism, which I think you've agreed with. Yeah. It's not fair to have coercive elements to where someone mm -hmm. feels like they have to make the decision. So curing is this process of like getting rid of that disease from existing in the first place or disorder yeah. from the first place. So having a cure in place allows for these more nuanced conversations mm -hmm. to happen. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. And yeah. I think mostly it's due to people just not financing it too. Like we just mm -hmm. don't have access to things that will help. And people. people aren't like investing yeah. in the research and stuff. So, mm -hmm. do you especially think, within yeah. schools. So having the, do you think having the cure versus curing mentality, the having the cure mentality would be more lucrative towards those endeavors because people might feel like they can actually, you know, invest in those programs and stuff like that. Having the cure mentality. Like the mentality right. of like you know, versus curing, like I'm getting rid of the disease versus that it's always an option to mm. figure that out or disability, not disease. I should not use that interchangeably. But um, that mentality, where if we're getting rid of the disability, um, 
getting rid of the disability versus offering an option out of the disability. Having the second thought process of mm -hmm. like you're advocating, pushing that would allow for more people to be like, okay, let's find other options for curing or having cures available. Maybe you're overcomplicating yes. it. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, I, think, I, I think, think the mentality should be like, we can have this option or we don't have to have this option and we should still support the communities that choose not to. Okay. And they can get the services if they want to or they don't have to. And I do think there's like, I've heard a lot about um, like strife between audiologists and deaf communities and mm -hmm. stuff. And I really want that to not be there, like audiologists to learn sign language maybe, and just like, don't be this intimidating thing, like, oh, I'm trying to fix you. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah, that's, that's nice. off topic. No, that's fine. All right, cool. I think that's a good way to stop that question. All right, so the next question I wanna ask you is, what gets you into heaven? Good works or belief? I'm asking this because I think this is a pretty integral conversation in mm -hmm. like Christianity and religion um, and I love to hear people's thoughts on it especially because you know we, we've talked about sort of the inner workings of how people are and how they sort of feel and act when it comes to mm -hmm. religion specifically and so I think that'd be an interesting mm -hmm. way to dig deep into that topic so what are your thoughts um so I wouldn't even say belief actually and not works either Oh, what, yeah. so what, what gets you into heaven? <laughs> so the way I've been taught and I kind of feel is that like, because people can believe in God, you know? Yeah. But if you don't have, you haven't, that's why people say like, oh, do you accept God or Jesus into your life? Mm -hmm. It's like a relationship. You choose to have a relationship rather than just believe. So it's like faith and stuff. And then works comes into it by it's kind of like, oh, you're in a relationship, so you're going to treat your girl right. Like, not comparing God to, like, a girlfriend, but... <laughs> what type of girlfriend is God? But... Oh, ah, it's quirky. Quirky. But... <laughs> not quirky. Okay. Okay. But it's like, you show your relationship and your your actions, your faith through your works. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's so, so you would redefine, like, to get into heaven, you have to have an active relationship with God. Yeah, like okay. you accept him, you believe him. Mm. Doesn't mean you necessarily have to have a good relationship yeah. when you die, but like you're trying. Just a relationship, okay. Because the only reason I say belief is because like, you know, in the Bible it talks about like the devil mm -hmm. and like how he was cast cast out of heaven. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he knows God exists. He literally lived with him. Mm. But, you know, he's... It's, it wasn't. It wasn't the dis. Yeah, it wasn't the disagreement of like. Yeah. You're not actually God because that would make no sense yeah, for yeah. the devil. Yeah. Like, oh, you don't believe me. Bye. <laughs> yeah. It's more of like I refuse to be with you. Yeah. I refuse to stand with you. So thus. You it's know, an acceptance, like I a see. choosing. You know. Okay. So, how does that work when it comes to the sort of ethics of like you know? Because I would say, I mean, do you know the difference between like objective and subjective morality and sub, you know those you've, things? You've explained this to me yeah. before. Yeah, essentially it's that like objective moralities are like moralities that are stripped away from like our lived experience. So it's not like I think this is right, thus it's right. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's typically objective is that it's coming from some sort of outside value. Like it's a commonly agreed upon, not necessarily commonly agreed upon, but it is, a, it is just true for the sake of true itself. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then subjective is that there's people contributing an opinion and it is, you know, whether that's synthesized or it is just me sitting here, I think it's right, so it's right. Like that is a subjective opinion. Um, so when it comes to sort of good or bad actions and, and the lived experience, most people like to appeal to God being the truth of all truth. But to say that it's relationship dependent, do you think that makes it a little bit more subjective that no singular person can tell you how to live good or bad. It is simply your relationship to your God. Are you, you know, to the God of, you know, Christianity, to Jesus or to the Lord himself. Um, it becomes almost subjective if it's your relationship, correct? Or because... To an extent, I feel like. Like there's certain things that are relationship based, like, and then certain things that are just everyone like, hey, don't lie. Like that's a sin, you know, in Christianity. My question is that, like, how does it play with the idea of community or helping each other through your spiritual journey? Because unlike other relationships, I mean, you can give relationship advice, but you can't foster a relationship mm -hmm. with other people, right? Like, you can't tell me, like, you can maybe tell me, like, oh, like, hey, here's your relationship with your girlfriend. Maybe you can do mm -hmm. better. But if we're talking about relationship in general, like, how am I going to make the healthy decisions? Like, mm, maybe that's not... I think I know what you're asking. Yeah, okay, yeah, go for it. Um, take, take, from what I said, take what you can. <laughs> so I actually, I watched this post a while ago. I don't know who did it or said it, but yeah. they were talking about how each person can like have their reverence to God in their own way. Mm -hmm. So like, the only thing I can think about is like modesty, and I hate using this because Pentecostal, I can't wear jeans or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. But like, can work with that later. Ugh, I'm going to use it anyways. Yeah. So for Pentecostals, like they feel like they're respecting God and their relationship with God by not wearing jeans as women. So mm -hmm. they wear a skirt. And so in that way, they they have their reverence towards God or their mm -hmm. respect towards God. Mm -hmm. But like I believe differently. I should be able to wear jeans and that shouldn't affect my relationship with God. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like that's where it's more subjective because... God sees that and he values that in their own way they're respecting him because they believe like this is this is how I'm respecting God. So you know? so let me let me ask you this where it's one of those things where like if there's a, a discrepancy on respect and like what it means to sort of have good works in a relationship, how do you know what is the oh shit. Um, how do you know what is the proper way of, you know, conducting a relationship versus not? As you said, like, mm -hmm. you're, you know, the Pentecostals may believe one thing, you believe something else. Is it that their relationship is, a, like, not as functional as your mm -hmm. own? Or there is that leeway of, like, you know, um, where, you know, good works can come. Like, yeah. just as there's multiple ways of having a good relationship with your partner, there's multiple ways of having a good relationship with God. Do you agree with that sentiment or no? Yeah, I think there's always, like, a baseline of, like, like Pentecostal. Maybe modesty is the baseline. Like, you want to be modest, and that's, like, a way of respecting God. It's just the and implications so it's, of those modesty places. is seen differently with each group or so, people. So then let me, let me, let me pose a question, because I know that there is a lot of religious debate within the church itself. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can take, obviously, Pentecostal to your belief, Fair enough, like there's enough difference and you're there. What about, let's go a little bit further. What about, you know, maybe a, a typical Christian from a Catholic 
those relationships are different as well. Yes. So what makes a relationship a good relationship is essentially, you know, the, 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 the not necessarily criticism of the question I have. Because um, I think of it as if good works is a way of showing how you respect your relationship. Mm -hmm. If you have a completely different definition of what good works is, not necessarily saying it's completely different. Yeah. But enough to have divide. What turns it into a bad relationship? Um, well, I still think there's like a baseline. No, okay. No so, what, so, but so, where does that baseline lie? What is that baseline? You gave modesty. Depends on the subject, you know. Okay. Um, it's also like everyone kind of knows right from wrong, and I know like it's a little different. I'm gonna like, uh, take that I back. That. <laughs> I'm gonna take that back. Because, <laughs> um, because the criticism, yeah. just to clarify, that I would have launched if you said that. Is if everybody knows what's good and bad, then what's the point of good works in a relationship? Right. <laughs> it's like scratch. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I still see it as like. Uh, let me let me tell you where my head's headed okay. towards because I want you to prepare for that. <laughs> the ultimate question I'm going to ask you is what separates my relationship from Jesus to. Allah, like what, why is Jesus my, Jesus and God, a different one, like mm, from Islam yeah. or, uh, or Ganesh from Hinduism or yeah. Vishnu, like, well, there's also Hinduism, but you know, if my relationship to some sort of higher being is being respected, follows some sort of baseline, stuff like that, mm -hmm. what is to say that my relationship with another God does not get me into heaven? Because all of them would say they have a relationship yeah. with their God. But if, if, if your relationship... Guess who's right? We'll see at the end of the day when I die. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I, don't know if I, I don't know about you, but if I was a believer, I don't know if I could. <laughs> I could take that risk. I'm, gonna, I'm just, you know, polyamory of religions. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just have a lot of relationships. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, that's, that's essentially the criticism yeah. that I'm eventually wanting to get to. But like, obviously, we can. there's okay. steps in between. Honestly, I'm just going to be like, it's whoever's right. <laughs> Whoever so, wins the baseball game. <laughs> so, which is but, okay, which is fine, right? So, to say, so you say that getting into heaven is a relationship-based thing. Mm -hmm. I mean... Based on Christianity. I know it's different for, like, Hinduism. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. But um, for the Christian perspective, and you say that it's a subjective journey because that's that's your, you know, what your relationship is, what your relationship is. So then... What I guess, what are your thoughts on the whole advocacy of, um, what's it called, of spreading Christianity? Do you think that that's important? Because in my head, if we're going to keep the analogy yeah. going, that'd be like saying, that'd be like pestering uh, like your 30-year-old wife, like the 30-year-old woman, like, you know, the stereotype yeah. where it's like the 30-year-old woman, why haven't you found a husband yet? Yeah. Cause, <laughs> and that we all kind of like loosely agree that that's annoying. Mm-hmm. So what, why does that not translate to sort of the Christian aspect, aspect of it? Well, from like Christian perspective, as long as you're not like conquistadorian, like or conquering, yeah. conquist, whatever. Conquistadors. Conquistadors. Yeah. As long as you're not forcing it on those people, from their perspective, it's like the greatest act of love because they wholeheartedly believe like, oh, if you don't believe, you're going to go to hell, you know? Mm. And so to them, it's like, I really, I want you to be safe. I want you to be happy. So I do think it's okay because 
as long as you're not forcing it on them. You're just giving your opinion. Mm-hmm. Just don't like. But I guess you're going also, to hell. Like, yeah, and, and when you reference the base, I think for me it would boil down to what you mean by baseline. Because I was gonna say like, if we're talking about relationships and relationship advice, like all the things that are good that come from that, it really hinges on that subjective thing, right? Because if your relationship's subjective, how can we then like implement it? Like, because religion doesn't stay in religion, and you know you can disagree with that or not. It stay it it impl- it. I don't want to say taints. It ladens. It, it lays, culture. yeah, culture and also your political, like your your the way you vote, the way you think is right and wrong. It does influence those things. But if it's completely subjective, then it all depends on what you mean yeah. a baseline relationship would be, which is what is something that you're finding difficult to define. So that reminds me of. You can cut this out if you want, but no, you can tell me. that class that we took, the Bible class, where it talks yeah, about best, like uh, that yeah. article from like homosexuality and how culture affected if it was a sin or not, and mm-hmm. how it's like wasting the seed. And back then, like we didn't have like um, protection in like sexual health and stuff. Yeah. And so that in that society, it's like you're wasting your reproductive seed, and so homosexuality is seen as a sin. Versus like now, now that we have protection, would it still be seen as a sin? And the Bible is just like based on that culture of the time, you know? Yeah. Or so just, I just thought simply, that, the, but... simply the lack or the simply the idea of that, like, you know, <clears throat> we don't like semen is not limitless or that yeah. it's not limited. It's mm-hmm. pretty limitless. Um, so, yeah. 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 So would you say that the, okay. the only thing that is crucial for like, I guess, building a worldview around the Christian belief is figuring out what that baseline is. What is the minimum requirement of belief to qualify you as having some sort of, not good, but an active relationship or a functional relationship with God? I guess. You don't have an answer. (laughs) What do you mean you guess? I guess. I don't know. I think that, I don't know. Where's your, where, where are you hung, what are you hung up on? I was going to say something and I completely forgot. Um, In the statement of there needs to be a baseline to determine whether someone is actively or yeah. functionally participating in a relationship with God but being the sort of necessary component to build a worldview. That's the thing. I don't know if I can like really say from anyone's perspective if they have a relationship like baseline or what the baselines are because it's personal you know but then it becomes purely subjective and if that's the case then you can't say that well the relationship aspect but like the things that god um or at least we're taught in christianity things that god wants you to do to live out like a christian life and respect to him Mm -hmm. there are like certain rules like 10 commandments you know yeah and there's like leeway between them based on culture and like how you interpret metaphorical versus literal yeah but, but that would be the baseline, correct? Yeah. But I wouldn't say that defines the relationship. I would say it's a way of like, I don't know. It would be like the setup uh, yeah. to the relationship. I guess, yeah. It, it's your prenup. My prenup. Before yeah. <laughs> 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 getting into the, the thing. Not divorcing. Yeah, I think I think that I think that's a good point to maybe you know think about is like if there is a baseline and if you can figure it out because mm-hmm. that I think is important because if there is no baseline, it's purely subjective. And that gets into really big issues on trying to advocate for others to believe in God. Yeah. Well, there's baselines of like the works that you want to do and then like how to get into heaven. Yeah. 
all that stuff. It's so. just like the personal relationship is what. Yeah, and I think it's a spiritual. Thing. I think the works too, right? Like surrounding that, having that baseline is necessary because mm-hmm. to me, before you can do active works, you have to have the relationship. If you don't have the relationship, the works don't yeah. matter. It's just you being good yeah. moral character. So really, the the baseline of what a relationship is is the sort of precursor for any of that to matter, any mm-hmm. of those discussions. So actually, now that I think about it, you can't say that that is a baseline, like the Ten Commandments and all that, because before yeah. you can even hit the Ten Commandments, what's the point? You have to have the relationship. Yeah. And so the only thing then dictates is that there is a baseline for someone to have it, some of you know whatever life, or people just fall into it, and then yeah. they just have to be lucky. Yeah. Well, like you want to follow the Ten Commandments to like respect your God pretty much. So. But before you can do that, you have to have the relationship. Yeah. So the baseline is the relationship, but it's subjective in a way. So, so, so the advocacy would be, well, how do you get to that relationship and what determines what is a, well, a I, valid relationship versus an invalid relationship? That's really what it boils back, down to. Belief is baseline, I guess. <laughs> You just have to, to answer the original question, yeah. belief, you have to believe in a God first, yeah. obviously. And then you work towards a relationship mm-hmm. saying like, I accept you and I will choose to live my life for you. Meaning works. So what the, the question that I think I'm going to leave off on, cause I think we've exhausted this topic, but the question would be if belief is the thing that is the precursor before you can do any of this stuff, what separates my belief from a Christian God from another God? Because belief is the bare minimum. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And again, I will I will leave that for you to think about because I think, and we can pick that up another day. That's where I think it's like, well, who's right at the end of the day? (laughs) Because which I mean, that's a fine place to end on. Like as far as like the belief, like you believe that the belief is the thing that launches you there. Mm-hmm. Whether you believe in the what what belief you fall into, it's just a matter yeah. of we'll figure that out. I do believe Allah is the same God. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, because like there's so many historical ties between like, um, I don't know if you know, like yeah, Ishmael, yeah. Sarah, yeah, 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 that yeah. stuff. We took the same class. Oh, Very right, cool. yeah, <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, you know, same God, just like different. It was brought out differently, and then and the, whose the, relationship was right with God. You know? Yeah, and then but then the works would be different because yeah. the Christian works versus the Muslim or the Islamic good works are very different. Yeah, not very, but like they're they're pretty different. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, like logistics and like yeah. pro, like traditions well, and stuff. A like lot that. of the works, I thought they were pretty similar. It's just like how they're carried out in a way, but the baseline of the works is the same. Go back to baselines, but <laughs> find a baseline for everything, right? That's true. And you can you can you can read like Richard Dawkins' yeah. book and find like the baselines. I think like our humanism, which is like one hundred percent against religion, <clears throat> you can find the baselines in humanism that like resonate with like Christianity. Yeah, and Christians do do that. Like a lot of uh, Christian apologists will find those baselines and be like, see. The, the the atheist has the Christian ethic in them anyways. And I'm just like, well, is it the case that the, that that's monopolized because of Christianity? Or is it simply the case that these are just good values and yeah. they just happen to exist? Yeah. Because true. we created it to be that way. Um, yeah, anyways. So to go back to the to concluding statements, essentially the position that we're in is that relationships are necessary to get into a good relationship is, or not a good, a functioning relationship with God is how you get into heaven. Whether, what that means is yet to be determined. Because An accepted functioning relationship. Because you can have a relationship like enemies, you know. 
<laughs> you know what I mean. Then only only atheists are going to... <laughs> <laughs> only atheists are going to heaven? Yeah. We don't believe in God. We're going to heaven. We have the strongest relationship. <laughs> That'd be kind of funny. Okay, cool. So we'll move on to the next question, which is our final question. So the final question that I have for you is, what are the harms of bad education? So we mentioned briefly that one of the political uh, issues that you feel kind of strongly about is uh, racial issues, specifically in regards to education, um, as a product of the sort of uh, mm -hmm. research I've been doing. Um, and I think, you know, in America, especially with the, you know, the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, a bunch of these different situations that have kind of popped up in pop culture and regular living um, and the dialogues that are happening with it, I think this is an important point to kind of talk about. So mm -hmm. I want to, before we address the question, I want to specifically kind of dig deep on what you meant by the research that you're covering and how that informs like the sort of dialogue. So feel free to tell me. So I study African-American vernacular, mainly, <laughs> and typically developing children. So a lot of the research is um, just showing how dialect can versus mainstream English can mm. affect like a child's education. Like saying that a child brought up on African-American English mm -hmm. doesn't make them any less educated than somebody who was brought up on mainstream English. And having that dialect difference isn't like, because a lot of people view that dialect as like, Lesser, lesser than or yeah. like they're just not un they're uneducated and so like there's certain words like kids some tests will be brought up in a way that is for mainstream english and mm -hmm. so kids will fail tests because their dialect is african-american english and they'll be given like oh you're less intelligent or you're excluded from gifted programs when they really should be in a gifted program mm. or so they're given it, a speech impediment. It's and, just a compound yeah. where it's like the language itself is seen less intelligently, but because mm -hmm. the tests are monitoring for like this sort of, yeah, they're standardized majorities. Yeah. yeah. Then they feel like they're lesser because they don't understand it. And then the teachers and the yeah. institutions. Okay. That makes and sense. if you have teachers who are not like well-versed in African-American vernacular either, mm -hmm. then it's like, they're not going to be encouraging the growth as much as they could or mm -hmm. encouraging them into gifted programs when they should be in there. And like mm -hmm. just their education isn't going to be challenged in the way it should be. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So what does that say in the society at large? Right. So like there's a thing um, in sort of, I guess, applied ethics called um, epistemic injustice. Um, it was proposed by Miranda Fricker, and essentially what it is, is it's uh, any harm that comes to a person, uh, specifically attacking their capacity as a knower, their ability to know things. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the examples I think, uh, I think she brought it up um, in her book is this sort of capacity of like, when you are diminished in your capacity to know something, you, you sort of acquisition to those stereotypes or prejudices that are being placed on you. So in the case of like the prejudice that you're talking about, or the, the lack of usage of African-American vernacular in standardized testing, mm -hmm. they're seen as dumb, so they'll perform lesser whenever they're seen in this sort of, uh, in this sort of case. So I, I say this all to sort of lead to this point of that all these issues do lead to social harms. How do you see this playing out, right? Because there's one thing of looking at it in this classroom setting, mm -hmm. but how does that play out in like the adult life or the lived life or like the sort of, 
um, how not only, I guess, African-Americans or, um, you know, any sort of marginalized group that is affected by these harms play out in society, but also how society reacts to them as well. Like, what are your... Yeah. Um, well, I think, like, everything you have as a child is going to influence how your upbringing is and how you're going to be as an adult. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you're not given as many opportunities in your education growing up or just in general or like even attitudes people have towards you like if you don't get respect from certain individuals because of the way you speak mm -hmm. like it's going to affect your self-confidence going to affect your education if you're not included in like a gifted program or like challenged the way you should your education isn't gonna be challenged to the proper extent and that's mm -hmm. going to affect your job and your self-esteem in the future as well mm -hmm. so like as a functioning adult, you're not going to, you might not reach your potential because you weren't challenged to reach the potential you could have had. Mm. And so do you think, no, that makes perfect sense. So do you think those limitations essentially maybe skew different job types where like, you know, a, a statistic that's typically thrown out is like the disproportionate representation of mm -hmm. minorities, specifically people of the black community and, you know, and other minorities in certain career fields. Do you think that that tracks with this research that you're saying where it's like because there are all these discrepancies in learning and you know in the usage of language and stuff mm -hmm. that you don't see a lot of members of that community in those sort of different jobs like maybe doctors or um, yeah. like lawyers or stuff like that um i don't know if it's necessarily like maybe not from a research the, perspective the dialect, yeah research. but from your personal like do you think yeah. that 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 has that is a contributing factor to those other statistics and stuff like that yeah i wouldn't say specifically with language maybe maybe it's like just the attitudes towards like the self and to others like black communities okay. you know like yeah. a lot of the opportunities they don't have in certain communities mm -hmm. and they're not encouraged as much as they should be I think... No, um, you're, so you're saying like, like they might not be as encouraged, what do you... Yeah, or like not given as many opportunities in like some in, school Maybe districts. incentivized, is that a yeah. better word? I guess it also depends on like the school district and like it's not financed enough. And so mm -hmm. people just think like, oh, I'm just always going to stay here. I'm never going to... Like I'm not going to go to university or like whatever. It just seems less of a possibility yeah. because so they don't you're work so for far it as hard. Yeah. yeah, like you're so far removed from that situation. And in a way, it can go back to language, but I don't know if I would tie it. Mm -hmm. But it's like the self-esteem thing. Like if if they already feel like something is wrong with them, then they're not going to work hard to be what they could be. So okay, so they need to have that confidence instilled. Do you think? Too. Keeping it in reference to the question, the harms of bad education is the bad education from the youth provides lower self-esteem a lot because of these sort of prejudicial thought processes and stuff, uh, or like lack yeah. of representation of the African-American vernacular. Um, but that in turn harms people later on in life because they're less likely to get further education that might have alleviated the bad education they had at the at their youth. Yeah. Do you think you would agree with that? Okay. And like... Also with the attitudes of who we let be educators. Ah, attitudes of the educators, like mm. the teachers. Okay, okay. Like they need to be more informed about... On these like sort of nuanced yeah. points and stuff like that. That makes sense. So what, what do you say is the sort of... I mean, do you think there is a grand implication on that? Like, like what does that mean for society at large, right? Because from someone who maybe isn't part of the community or isn't really actively there... Mm -hmm. 
I feel like the first question they'll ask is, why should I care? Why should I, why does this matter to me? Because people. Okay, that's, that people. I think, though, I wish people thought like that. Realistically, <laughs> they like to see pragmatical problems. Yeah, like, pragmatic problems. They want facts and statistics. Yeah, not necessarily facts and statistics, but like, why does this affect me? Mm -hmm. right very self-centered very narcissistic perspective yeah but that is how a lot of people get called to advocate for something like how so, does this help me yeah not necessarily how does it help me what is the what is the problem in society like at large mm -hmm. like does this sort of you know within community issue have implications of in the society broader in america grandly yeah well if i'm looking for, like if i was like a black woman if i'm looking from that perspective yeah I want, I would want more representation just solely because there'll be certain job fields where people will stick up for me where other people wouldn't maybe just yeah. because of their biases and like if they have racism in the workplace, I don't know. Um, as a white woman, e, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that is fair. I would be thinking from the perspective of like, oh, are my friends and family going to be hurt? Well, yeah, my family. Oh, right? people that you yeah. care about. People you know, that I care yeah. about. Yeah. yeah, are going to be hurt by this or like, because it might not necessarily affect me with my job or anything, but like, mm -hmm. it's definitely going to change. It just goes back to like, love people. Yay. Mm. So, so if we have like this share like humanity, it would, it, it almost seems intuitive to fix the problem if you care about other people. Yeah. Um, but if you don't care, then you're not going to Then it just doesn't matter. Okay. But then there's also people like, that I know, like. I don't see them as racist. They're just, they just don't really, can't really wrap their head around it because it's talked about so mm. much in society. Like, oh, we need to like help black lives. Like they're underrepresented. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and um, just all I of think those, yeah. They just can't understand it, but it's not like it is their fault, but not their fault at the same time. What do you mean by fault and not know. fault? Like the designation it's of like those things. It's like they're not open to learning about it because they hear about it so much. And it's like because they, shoved down their yeah. throat and so they that they like close the, it off. The majority or the, the, we'll say white for the sake of the situation. Yeah, older generation. Too. Older generation. They're, they're, they're shutting off the conversation, <clears throat> would you say, because, again, it's, it's their fault in the sense of they're validating the prejudice by not accepting mm -hmm. counter evidence but it's not yeah. their fault in the sense that they never they don't know any better like they yeah. equally just as white just as the black community has suffered from this sort of negligent mm -hmm. consideration of the culture white people are also suffering from the negligent of such culture it just manifests in completely different ways one yeah. of which obviously privileges maybe the white community but disadvantages or marginalizes the black community because mm -hmm. you know the white person isn't affected by this lack of knowledge but both people are lacking the knowledge yeah and you think that's a good way to summarize what you're yeah. trying to say okay um so could you could you say that, that that's a harm right if because it, it's the case right if let's say one of these adult you know these older people are the ones that want to love people mm -hmm. but because they grew up in this sort of system or i mean we can even say the system's still around they're still living in that system that they're harmed in their capacity obviously to a lesser degree in their ability to be the maximally loving person because mm -hmm. if they see it as the case of like you know if they understood that this is a lack of their knowledge is a gap within their sort of either hermeneutic or internal understandings they could have been able to actually care. They could have been able to give a yeah. consideration. 
So they're also disenfranchised in their capacity to act in their own self-interests in that way, which obviously when we're talking about the proportionate harm, the black community is 100% more marginalized yeah. or more harmed, but there is a harm to the majority community. Um, and and that... I mean, the communities can't come together either. So it's a harm on society, like people just being mm -hmm. torn apart. That makes sense. So funny thing, we ended up talking about other things and I realized I accidentally shut the recording off. As you can see, I'm still trying to figure things out. But anyways, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Rachel. Thank you all for listening. And if you'd like to support the show, please share it on any social media platform and follow our pages with the links below. If you'd like to be on an episode, feel free to message me on any of our social medias or through the email listed below. Other than that, I hope you all have a marvelous day and I'll see you in the next episode. Till then, keep on conversing.